Welcome to Feeding His Sheep podcast, brought to you by A.T. Stewart and Sons Ministries. I'm your host, A.T. Stewart. Today's message is brought to you by my son, Josh, who is one of the teaching pastors at Summit Church in Naples, Florida. So let's open up God's Word and see what he would say to us today. Uh, my name is Josh Stewart. I am one of the pastors here at the Naples campus, and I have the great honor and the privilege to be able to communicate God's Word with you today. Um, and I'm excited to do that. We're continuing and actually finishing up our series in Advent. We'll be in Revelation chapter 21. Um, if you want to have your Bibles, you can turn there. And what we've done this series is we've talked about the presence of God, right? The Advent of Jesus, the long-awaited expectation that Jesus would come, right? Like we've been longing for it. In the Old Testament, it was predicted through the prophets that the Savior would come, Emmanuel, God with us. And finally, Jesus came. And what we've seen over the last several weeks is the great benefit that we have now because of the presence of God, because God is now with us through Jesus. We've seen that we have a God who cares for us, right? Even in the midst of our struggle the first week. The second week, we talked about God's great love for us through Jesus Christ. And then last week, we talked about that we can rest in God's presence because of what Christ has accomplished. And then this week, We're going to take our eyes towards the future. We're going to go to Revelation chapter 21, and we're going to dream of what the future will be like in the new heavens and the new earth, the second advent of Jesus. Together, let's dream. But as we dream together, we're also going to take those truths and see how they also apply to our lives today. We can dream about the future and then even in part now receive the great benefit that this new heavens and new earth talks about. So Revelation chapter 21 is where we are. We're going to be in the first eight verses. Um, And so I'm going to read that for us real quick before we get before we get started. This is what it says. It says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man. He will dwell with them and they will be his people and God himself will be with them as their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning nor crying nor pain anymore for the former things have passed away. And he who was seated on the throne said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. And he said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. The one who conquers will have this heritage. I will be his God and he will be my son. But as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, As for the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Before we dive into that, let's let's open up in a word of prayer. Lord, we're so grateful for today. We're so grateful that we can gather here um, this Sunday morning. We're thankful for every soul that is here today and in the seats before us, God. We know that no one is here by accident. They might have planned to come to church last minute, God, but you orchestrated their lives in such a way that you have allowed them to be here today. We're grateful that they're here, God, but we also know that you're a God that desires to communicate to the people in this room. 
The Holy Spirit, we ask that you would work in the hearts and the souls of each person that is here today. These are individual lives going through individual situations and you are a personal God that desires to speak to them right where they are. So we pray and we beg Holy Spirit through your word today that you would minister to the hearts and the souls of the people that are in this room. Lord, I bring nothing to this table, Lord. I am a weak, broken vessel, Lord. So take my imperfections, take my weaknesses, Lord. And Holy Spirit, may be made strong through those. Help the people in this room to hear a better sermon than I preach, Lord. And I pray that you would minister even today as we sit here on December 20th, 2020 in Naples, Florida. We're thankful, Lord, for the other gospel-centered churches that are around, Lord, that we can lock arms with, Lord. We pray that you would bless their services today, that you would bless their people, that you would work in a mighty way in their services this morning as well. Think about churches like First Baptist Naples, like Center Point, like um, Turning Point, like um, First Presbyterian, um, Bonita Springs, Lord. I think about Covenant Presbyterian and, and Faith Bible and these amazing churches, Lord. Bless them and all the other ones that are out there. Do it for your glory and do it for the advancement of your kingdom. Your servants are listening, Lord. Speak to us today. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Um, and so this last week, uh, my wife and I, Maggie, were able to celebrate 11 years of marriage, right? So we've been married for 11 years. Yes! Um, and it was awesome. It was a great anniversary. We're even, for the first time in many years, we're able to go on a multiple day trip to Disney, which is so awesome. It was a great way for us to celebrate and just enjoy one another. Such a, a joy to be married to her. And as you anniversary comes around, you often take the time to think back, like on your relationship as a whole, and kind of all that has happened. I was reminded of, we met in high school. Maggie's from South Florida. She moved to the Atlanta area. We met in high school. We started dating. We're high school sweethearts. Um, we got engaged in college. We're engaged for about a year and then we got married. And as I was kind of thinking back on like specifically the engagement process, right? So if you've ever been engaged or maybe you know someone that's engaged um, or maybe you're currently engaged now, um, it's a really awesome time in the life of someone, right? So you have a, a man that asks the woman, she says, yes, they get engaged. It's like the first official commitment to the relationship, which is really awesome, right? And they begin to just move forward in this, um, this excitement, right? They're planning a wedding. They're starting to dream about the future together, right? They start thinking about maybe if they're going to have kids. They start thinking about what life's going to look like five years down the road, 10 years down the road, 15 years down the road, right? Get everything planned for the big wedding day. It can be a great and exciting moment in the life of this couple. But if you've, if you've been engaged or you know someone has, there's a lot of excitement. But even after the excitement, it can often be a lot of tension that's in the engagement process. It can be kind of a challenging season because even though you made a commitment, you haven't fully stepped into the reality of that commitment. And so there's this tension that you, that you have. You can plan the wedding, but yet the wedding hasn't come yet, right? You haven't become Mr. and Mrs. You haven't, you know, fully become one flesh as the Bible talks about, right? You can dream about the future, but you can't step into the reality of the future and live it out. And so it's a great time. It's an exciting time, but there's also tension within the engagement process because you haven't fully stepped in to the reality of what marriage is going to be like. And as I was kind of reflecting on that, I was kind of reminded that that's often a very similar way that we feel here in the Christian life while we're on this earth, right? 
And so if you're a Christian, you have taken the time to, that God has pursued you, God has found you, he has opened your eyes to the truth, and you have embraced Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? You have understood that he lived the perfect life that you couldn't live, that he died on the cross for your sins, that he rose from the dead, and you believe that, and you trust that. And this amazing thing happens when you trust Christ as your Lord and Savior, right? Your sins are forgiven, right? You become a new creation. You enter into a relationship with God that you can talk with him, right? He's a God that wants to satisfy you. He's a God that wants to give you victory over sin. He's a God that wants to care for you and and give you his presence. And it's amazing and it's awesome and it's such a great gift on this earth. But then you begin to journey through the Christian life and that tension is there, right? Because even though those things are true, we still live in a broken, fallen world. We're still plagued by our sinful nature and we can't fully step into the realities of what life will be like one day in the new heavens and the new earth. And so in what theologians often call the middle life, or some of them call the already not yet, we already receive the benefits of the gospel, but not yet in full like we will one day, there can often be tension. There can often be struggle. They can often be the part of the grind. And maybe that's where you are today, that you're a little discouraged, right? You're a little beat up. You're a little disheartened because the middle life can be hard. And so what we want to do in our passage today is that we want to look, right, to the not yet that is coming. We want to look and gaze and dream about what life will be like when Christ returns. But I also want to take those truths, and there's a beautiful reality that even though we can't experience those in full, we still today can experience them in part. And even in part, they're greater than anything else you can imagine. And so let's dream of the future together, but let's also take those implications and let's see how they affect our lives today. And because we have a great Savior who has come, these benefits, even in part, are still ours. And even in part, they can be incredible. And so let's process through Revelation once again, starting in verse 21. And we're going to look at three things today that the Scripture tells us about the new heavens and the new earth. And we're going to see how those things, even today, we can live in those, we can embrace those, Um, even now while we're in the middle life. So let's start once again, Revelation chapter 21, start in verse one. And then it says, it says, then I saw a new heaven and a new earth for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away and the sea was no more. And so what happening leading up to Revelation chapter 21, just to give us what's going on in chapter 20 is that Christ has returned. And when Christ has returned, what happens is you have the Antichrist, which Revelation talks about. So Revelation is all futuristic, things that will happen in the future. And so this is a glimpse of what life will be like, right, when Christ returns in the future. We know there's someone called the Antichrist. They're called the false prophet that will rise up in the end times. In Revelation chapter 20, they are then thrown into the lake of fire. Death is thrown into the lake of fire. Hades is thrown into the lake of fire. And then there's this great judgment on the white throne. And it says that all those whose names are not written in the book of life, meaning all those who have not accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, right? Unfortunately, what the consequence for them is they are also thrown into the lake of fire. And then Revelation chapter 21 comes. This is for all those who have accepted Christ as their Lord and Savior, who has embraced the good news of the gospel. Revelation 21 comes. And this is our reality for those who are in Christ Jesus. So he says the first thing he says in verse one that the new heavens and the new earth has come. The old has gone. This earth earth here will be made new. 
The new heavens has come, right? The new earth has come. All this will be made new, right? And then it goes on to say in verse two, and it says, and I saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And so the old has gone, the old has passed away. This new earth, this new reality is here. And then when this new reality has come, this new heaven that's been made new by God, then this city, this new Jerusalem is coming down from heaven. And I love the description that John, the writer of Revelation, gives to this city. He says it's a bride or it's like a bride that's adorned for her husband. And what he's doing here is he's bringing out the intentionality of this new city. This city was thought out by God. This city was planned by God, that God intentionally put this city together. In the same way that a bride puts intentionality as she prepares for her wedding day, as she prepares to present herself to her husband, she puts time and effort and intentionality preparing for that moment. And in a similar way that God has prepared this, this is the grace of our God, that this city isn't thrown together last minute, that this is God preparing it, thinking about it, having intentionality as he presents this city to us. And then look what it says. Look what the, it says in verse three. There's a big announcement that comes, right? So the city is here. Here comes the announcement, what we've all been looking for, what we've all been waiting for. This is it, verse three, and it says, And behold, a loud voice from the throne saying, Behold, the dwelling place of God is with man, and he will dwell with them, and they will be his people, and God himself will be with them as their God. And so the new city comes, the great arrival, and this is the great announcement. This is what we've been longing for. This is what scripture has been pointing to. This is what our lives have been pointing to is that once again, what is lost in Eden because of the sin of mankind will now be fully restored one day and God himself will dwell with man. That God's presence will be ours and we will be with him face to face. So the first thing we see here is that in the new heavens and the new earth that we will have God's ever-present presence that you and I will be able to experience in full the presence of God face-to-face, that we'll be able to have an uninterrupted time with God, that we're experiencing him and all of his glory and all of his goodness, that we'll be able to sit under him as he rules and he reigns in grace and love and peace and might and strength, that we will be able to sit in his presence uninterrupted, that that is what once again been given to us. What was lost in Genesis chapter three is now been fully restored in Revelation chapter 21. I mean, just think about that. Imagine with me the presence of God uninterrupted, that there's never a moment that you will not be caught up in his glory. There's never a moment that you won't feel his nearness. There's never a moment that you'll be distracted by something less important. There'll never be a moment that you aren't overwhelmed by his love. Never a moment that you don't have fullness of joy that his presence brings. Never a moment that you aren't blown away by his beauty. Never a moment that you'll ever desire to be anywhere else. Never a moment that you won't feel completely secure in his power and his strength. And never a moment that you want to place your true worth in anything other than him. 
I mean, that's only the tip of the iceberg. And I mean, I challenge us to imagine that, but the reality is we can't. Like, we can't imagine how great life will be, that God will be with us. He will be our God, and we will be his people. It's unfathomable. What's even more amazing is the writer, John, continues to tell us what the voice says at the throne, and things get even better. Look what it says in verse 4. The second announcement, it says, And he will wipe every tear from their eyes, and death shall be no more. Neither there shall be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. So not only do we get the presence of God uninterrupted, his ever-present presence, face-to-face with God, dwelling with us, but even in God's presence, what he says of these things have passed away. There are four more things of death, of mourning, of crying, of pain. Like these things are no more, completely gone. And talk about even being hard to imagine, right? (laughs) Because these things plague our lives day in and day out, don't they? There's not one person in this room that hasn't been directly affected by death and by crying and by mourning and by pain. I mean, some of you are in the thick of it right now. But some of you are experiencing it every moment, every hour, every minute. You're experiencing the results of death. You're experiencing pain and mourning and crying. It's a sad reality of the world that we live in, right? I mean, think about death. Like all of us have had friends and family members that have passed away. People that we believe have passed away too soon, Right? We even have pets, right, that we care about deeply that, that die. And we mourn and we grieve over those things, right? Even our own death that we think about, that we, we're fearful of or, or do everything we can to avoid. Death is all around us. And then you think about like mourning and crying. I mean, the hours of tears that you've cried. Think about the, the, the feeling, right, in the, in the pit of your stomach that you just can't get over. Think about the day in and the day out of grieving something that has been lost to you. Think about the overwhelming emotion that you've had when you found out the bad news or when something reminded you of something that you no longer can enjoy. The fear of what could happen. The, 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 the um, frustration and anger and mourning that comes when we see the results of a fallen world that we lived in that each of us in this room had experienced mourning and grieving and pain. It's a, it's a horrible reality. And then he does. He even talks about pain, right? We've experienced physical pain. We're experiencing physical pain. We've experienced emotional pain or even maybe spiritual pain from someone who is in a spiritual authority over you that, uh, that abused their power. And we, we are grieved and we are in pain and we're experiencing death over and over. This is such a huge part of our lives. All of us are affected. Some from greater degrees to the other, but all of us are feeling the results of this. And so to imagine it is so out of our mind. It's so hard to explain. It's so hard to think about because it affects us so greatly. But the beauty of Revelation 21, the beauty of the new heavens and the new earth, the benefit of Christ's return and having a relationship with him and that these things will be no more that these things were completely gone to never come back. No more death, no more pain, no more mourning, no more crying. 
And even when Jesus was here, while he was on this earth, you see that he showed us that that's what the kingdom was about. That Jesus came in to show us what the kingdom of God was all all about. And what did Jesus do? He took dead people and he raised them. He said, in my kingdom, there's no more death. He took people who were disformed and had pain and disabilities and he healed them. And he says, in my kingdom, there's no more pain, right? He took Satan and the demonic powers and he had control over them and he told them what to do, showing that in my kingdom, I have full authority. And so we see the beauty of what even Jesus ushered in in part that we in Revelation 21 will see it in full because what Jesus Christ has accomplished. And so we can celebrate that day. We can long for that day. We can point to that day because we have a great savior. But we're still here in the middle life, aren't we? (laughs) We're still in the already, not yet. Which means that we still deal with death. That we still deal with pain. That we still deal with mourning and crying. But the good news for us and the reason why we can take heart and the reason why we can rejoice even in the middle life is that we can still have God's presence today, even while we're here. I'm reminded what it says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, and it says that we don't mourn as those who have no hope, but we mourn as those who have Jesus Christ, who has given us hope. And because of the saving work of Jesus, because of his life, his death, and his resurrection, that he now is with us, right? It says in Matthew 28, before he ascended up into heaven, when he gave the great commission, he says, go and make disciples, and then I will be with you always, even to the ends of the earth. And then even what it says in um, Psalms chapter 34, verse 18, it says, the Lord is near to the brokenhearted. He saves the crushed in spirit. Meaning that even in the middle life, that we have a God that desires to be present with us. That we can't experience his presence in full, but one day we will. But even in part now, right? That his presence in spirit and in truth, he is here with us. The Holy Spirit dwells among us, dwells with us. That even now, in the midst of our pain, in the midst of the mourning and the crying, that we can still have a God that desires to be near those who were crushed in spirit to care for those who were broken at heart, that we have a God that desires to be near to you and can be near to you because of the first advent of Jesus. And so even in the midst of our struggle, even while we're sitting here in the middle life and we're discouraged and we're disheartened because of the struggle that we live in, we can still lift our heads and look to God and he will be present and he will be near to us, right? And we experience God's presence when we go to his word. That's how God speaks to his children. Primarily is through his word. So we read his word. We meditate on his word. And we say, Lord, speak to your child. I'm listening. I need your presence. We can speak to God as we pray to him. And even as we gather together, right, on Sunday mornings or in our community groups, right, where two or more gathered in my name, I am there with them. That God's presence, even today, he's here. Some of you might even be experiencing it now. God's presence with his people, his loving, caring presence. We have a God that even in the middle life desires to be present with you. And his presence even now is still far greater than anything else. And so let's rejoice in the future when we'll have God's uninterrupted, ever-present presence. But let's also take heart now because you still have a God that desires to be present with you. Man, look to him. Seek him at a time that he might be found. And so are you looking to God? Are you seeking the Lord's presence today? Are you looking to him for comfort in your trials while we wait for his glorious return? 
How are you making the time to experience God's presence today as you read his word, as you gather with other believers? And how can you take the time to regularly lift your head above the clouds to be reminded of what will be true and allow that encourage you today as you seek after him? And so we see the first thing that in the new heavens and the new earth that we'll have God's ever-present presence. And by God's grace, we can have that even in part now. And the second thing we see here is that in the new heavens and the new earth, that we will be fully satisfied. Let's continue to read in verse 5. It says, And he who is seated on the throne, right, God himself said, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, write this down for these words are trustworthy and true, right? And so God himself speaks from the throne and he says, behold, I am making all things new. All this is going to happen because of me. And he, he looks at John and says, write these things down because they're trustworthy and they're true. You can believe on it. You can bank on it. You can trust in the promises of what I'm saying. And then he goes to even give some validation of why we can trust him. He tells us who he is. So he continues to say, he goes, and he says in verse six, and I said to him, it is done. I am the alpha and the omega, the beginning and the end. So he says, you know who I am? I'm the one who has always been. I'm the one who will always be. It's done. It's finished. I have accomplished it all for you. You can trust it because it's trustworthy and true. And then he goes on to say, and there he says in the second half of verse six, he says, to the thirsty, I will give from the spring of the water of life without payment. And so we see that in the new heavens, in the new earth, that you and I will be fully satisfied. He says, for those who are thirsty, for those who long, for those who want to be quenched, that I will give you a spring of water of life, that I will quench your souls, that I will give you satisfaction greater than anything else in the entire universe, that I will satisfy you completely. You won't long for anything else. You won't thirst for anything else, that I will give you the spring of water of life and your souls will be completely satisfied. No more longing, no more hoping that something else might be greater out there, that we will be completely content, completely fulfilled, drinking of this water of life. And he goes on to say that this water is without cost. And the reason it's without cost, because it was purchased by Jesus. That Jesus himself purchased this through his life, his death, and his resurrection. So he offers to us freely. Here's the spring of water of life. Drink your thirsty souls and be completely satisfied. That one day in the new heavens and in the new earth, you and I will be completely satisfied, that we will no longer long for the things of this world. We're no longer long for, for the better job. We won't long for the higher status, right? We won't long for more money or more things, that we won't long for sex or, or drugs or alcohol. We won't long for people's approvals, that we won't long for more food, that we won't long for more sleep, that we won't long for that vacation time, that we won't long for just some time of R&R, that we won't long for something that must be out there, right? That will fulfill me. We won't be wanting to look or wanting to search. We will be completely satisfied in the presence of of God fulfilled longing for nothing else. And it's going to be a glorious day, believer, when we drink fully of that water of life. So we can rejoice in that day, but yet we also are still here in the middle of life. 
And unfortunately, often in the middle life, we do look to the things of this world to satisfy us, don't we? We do have the feeling that there's something that must be better out there, isn't it? And so we'll find ourselves continuing looking to the things of this world, right? We'll look to the relationships. We'll look to people's approval, right? We'll look for the more money and more things. We'll look for drugs. We'll look to alcohol. We'll look to sex. We'll look for sleep. We'll look to rest. We'll look to the vacation. We'll look to be comfortable. We'll look to the things of this world over and over again, hoping that they will satisfy us when they were never meant to do so. And even as followers of Jesus, we will often cry out to the world and we'll say, satisfy my soul, please give me what my heart desires. And every time we leave empty, don't we? Every time it's like, man, that wasn't as good as it was supposed to be. Now C.S. Lewis in his book, Weight of Glory, um, he was a writer and a theologian. He makes a brilliant point. He points out that the reason why our souls are never satisfied is because we have too low of standard as people. That we are looking to the filthiness of this world to give us something that it could never, ever give us. And we're missing out on what God offers us. Look at this quote here from his book, The Weight of Glory. He says, we are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, but because he can't imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea, we are far too easily pleased. That we'll go to the mud pies. We'll sit in the slums and we'll make the mud pies and we'll look to the things like drugs and alcohol and relationships and people's approval and all the things that was mentioned before. We'll go to those things and we'll say, clearly they will satisfy me. Surely they will give me what I want. Surely they'll give me worth and value and identity and comfort and joy. Surely they'll give it to me. So we go to them and all we're doing is sitting in the slums making mud pies when a holiday at the sea is what offered to us in Jesus Christ. That we are sitting here content because we're far too easily pleased. Instead, infinite joy awaits us in our glorious Savior. See, the beauty of the gospel is that even in the middle life, even in the already not yet, that we have a Savior that desires to satisfy your soul even while you're on this earth. That he came and lived and died so that he could give you worth and purpose and identity and value and peace and comfort. Even while you're on this earth, he wants to give you infinite joy. He wants to give me infinite joy. But too often we sit around in the slums making mud pies when an amazing vacation at the beach is offered to us. Because we're too pleased with the things of this world. And what Jesus offers is so much better. I'm reminded of the the words of Jesus in John chapter 4 when he's speaking to the Samaritan woman at the well. They're sitting by a well. She was an outcast. He wasn't supposed to be talking to her, but out of his love and his grace, he pursues her. And this is what he says to her in verses 13 and 14. He says, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So he says, you're going to drink this water again. That's fine. You're going to get thirsty. (laughs) 
but you come to me and I will quench your thirst for all of eternity. You come to me and you will never long for anything else. If you come to me, I will give you your identity. I will give you value. I'll give you worth. I'll give you peace. I'll give you comfort. I'll give you purpose. I'll give you joy. You come to me, I will offer those things. And even while the Samaritan woman was sitting at the well, Jesus himself said, I will give you what your heart needs, what your souls long for. So even now, you and I have the ability to go to Jesus and say, Jesus, satisfy my soul. Allow me to understand the infinite joy that is offered to me, the holiday at the beach. And please let me not be content with making mud pies in the slums because that would never satisfy me. That would never give me what I want. But you, Jesus, you will give me what you want, what I want. And so even now on this earth, in the middle life, take heart, believer, because your God still desires to satisfy you. Your God still desires to come and meet you where you are and give you everything that you need. That's the beauty of the gospel. Don't lose heart. Don't be discouraged. He still is here for you, even today in the middle life. And so what do we do? (laughs) We look to Jesus to satisfy our souls. But because we live in a fallen world, because we're still plagued by our sinful nature, there'll be times that we won't look to Jesus to satisfy us. There'll be times that we're still content with the mud pies in the slums. Maybe you are right now content with the mud pies in the slums. And when we understand that, when our hearts are convicted by the Holy Spirit, we then ask the Lord to forgive us for looking to the things of this world to satisfy us. And by his grace, if you're in Christ, he will. And then we ask him to give us the strength to look to him to satisfy our souls instead of the things of this world. And in that moment, we lift our head above the clouds and we're reminded that one day, one day, believer, you won't even desire to look to the mud pies. One day, you'll be fully satisfied at the greatest beach vacation you could imagine. Take heart. Look to Jesus now and long for him to return. So the question we ask ourselves is, are you looking to Jesus today to satisfy you? Are you content making mud pies instead of experiencing the holiday at the sea, the infinite joy that he offers? And how is God calling you today to repent of the things that you look at to satisfy you and to turn to him instead? And so the first thing we see here in the new heavens and the new earth, we have God's ever-present presence and the new heavens and the new earth that will be fully satisfied. Drink of the water of life. And then lastly, we'll see in the new heavens and the new earth that will be known as conquerors. Look what it says in verse seven. It says, And the one who conquers will have this heritage, and I will be his God, and he will be my son. And so not only would he give us the water of life, but he refers to those who are in the new heavens, the new earth, those who have embraced Christ as their Lord and Savior. He says to the one who conquers, meaning that in the new heavens, in the new earth, that you and I will be known as conquerors, that we will conquer death, that we will conquer sin, that we will conquer the enemy, that you and I will be known as those who are victorious, that we'll be known as those who are great and mighty conquerors. Not because we're special, not because of our own strength, that we'll do it because of Jesus Christ, that he's the conquering king, that Jesus was victorious over death, over sin, and over the enemy. So then he extends that victory to us. And because he was successful, because he was a conqueror, he then says, now you are conquered. 
conquerors. You are conquerors because I have conquered this for you. So in heaven, we'll be always victorious. We'll never be defeated. We'll never lose another battle. We'll be completely victorious and conquerors because of the saving work of Jesus. That's the beauty. And he goes on to say, you're going to receive this amazing inheritance and I will be your God and you will be my child. Right, this parent-child relationship that we'll have with God. He won't just dwell among us to be a God we look at and wave every once in a while to. But he'll be near as a father, right? He'll come close to us. He'll care for us. He'll listen to us. He'll be intentional with us, right? Far greater than anything our earthly fathers could do. He'll meet the expectation. And so it's amazing, right? Let's celebrate it. Let's rejoice that one day we'll never be defeated. Conquerors because of Jesus. But then now we're in the middle of life, right? And in the middle life, we often feel like that is the farthest truth from us, don't we? We don't feel like conquerors, right? We feel like losers. <laughs> we feel like we're always being caught up and defeated by death, right? Death is all around us. We feel like that. We continue to lose the temptation against sin over and over and over again. We feel like that the devil's schemes are too great for us, and he's always getting us, always catching us, tripping us up, getting us to fall. But the good news is, is that even if that's where you feel today, that doesn't have to be true of you. That even now, in the already not yet, that you still have a God that desires to give you victory. That you still have a God that wants to meet you, care for you in the moment of your temptation, and give you the power and the strength to overcome it. I'm reminded of what it says in Hebrews chapter 2, verse 18, when it says, because he has been tempted in every way, yet without sin, that he can help us in the moment of our temptation. That when we are struggling and tempted to fall into sin, to give over to the schemes of the enemy, that he will come and help us, right? I'm reminded even of Luke chapter four, when Jesus goes out in the, in the desert and he's tempted for 40 days in the wilderness and he defeats Satan. Satan cannot get a foothold on him. Satan cannot get him to fall. That he had victory over Satan, not just in those 40 days, but his entire life. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. So we can go to him in the moment of our temptation and he will give us the strength and the power to overcome Come that temptation. That's the glory of us having Christ in us. I'm reminded of what it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, when it says that no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. And even in the moment of our temptation, he's going to provide a way out. He's going to provide for us a way not to sin. He's going to give us the opportunity to be able to trust in him and to overcome the temptation that you, in the midst of your temptation, you, when you're battling against yourself, when you're battling against the enemy, that Jesus Christ here in the middle life will give you the strength and the victory to overcome that sin. And we can take heart as believers. We can look to him. We can rest in him. We can go to him and say, be strong when I am weak. Do what I am not able to do. And he will provide a way out. He will come and help us in the moment of our temptation. Praise be to God. We can rejoice in that. But because we live in a fallen world, because we're still plagued by sinful nature, we won't do it perfectly. There'll be moments that we'll try to do it on our own strength, and we'll fail. There'll be moments that quite frankly, we, want, we do not want Jesus to give us victory over that sin. We want to indulge in it because we think it's going to satisfy us. And when that happens, and maybe that's happening to you today, 
what you do is you repent. You repent of the sin that you've been caught up in. You ask the Lord to forgive you. And if you're in Christ, by his love and his grace, he will forgive you. And then you ask him to give you the strength to come to him in the moment of your temptation to overcome that sin. And then you lift your head above the clouds and you rejoice in the one day that you'll be conquerors completely because of the work of Jesus. And so the question we have to wrestle with today is, are you looking to Jesus to conquer your sins? Or are you looking to your own strength to overcome the sin in your lives? What does it look like for you to seek Jesus in the moment of your temptation to go to him? And maybe how is God calling you to repent for failing to look to him in the hour of your temptation or the sin that you have allowed to entangle you over and over again? Maybe you're so deep into the sin today that it is something that's an addiction, that it is something that you're like, there's no way I can get out of this on my own. And if that's you today, I want you to also take heart. And I want you to go. We have a recovery program that meets at university on Thursday. It's like, go to the recovery program, meet with a pastor, meet with someone, expose that sin to say, this is what I'm dealing with. Now rally around me and help me as I walk through. Don't feel the shame or, or guilt in that. It is a good thing when we recognize our need for Jesus. And we even go to other Christians and help point me to Jesus. Help me as I walk this Christian life. We all are falling into sin. We all find ourselves doing the things we don't want to do. Allow other believers to rally around you in that moment. Look to Jesus and allow for them to help point you and carry you as you walk this Christian life. And so as we begin to remind, examine what we talked about today, right? In the new heavens, in the new earth, right? You will have God's ever-present presence. Praise God! You have it forever! Oh, it's gonna be so glorious, believer. And you can still even now have it in part. Even in part, it's far greater than anything else. Seek the presence of God. Go to him, read his word, gather with other believers. We'll see in the new heavens and the new earth that we'll be fully satisfied in him. We'll drink of the water of life. Jesus himself, the water of life, we will drink of. But even today, you have a God that desires to satisfy you. Go to him saying, give me my worth, my value, my identity, my peace, my comfort, my purpose, my joy. Give it to me today. Please, Lord, he will grant that to you. And you have, we have a God that in the new heavens and the new earth that will be known as conquerors because of what Jesus has done. But even now, go to the Lord and he will give you victory over the sin in your life. He desires to do so. He was tempted in every way, yet without sin. And before we close today, I, I don't want to neglect what it says in verse eight. There's a warning here in verse eight. Look what it says. It says, but as for the, as for the cowardly, the faithless, the detestable, as for the murderers, the sexual immoral, the sorcerers, the idolaters, and all liars, their portion will be in the lake that burns with fire and sulfur, which is the second death. Like I mentioned before, Revelation 21 is for those who have placed their faith and trust in Jesus. And John reminds us once again in verse 8, but for those right, who are too cowardly to trust Jesus, for those who did not have faith to believe in him, for those who are, who are living in sin and not been covered, with the blood and the forgiveness of Jesus. Revelation 21, the first seven verses are not offered to them. But instead, they will burn in the lake of fire for all of eternity. They will burn in hell, separated from God, separated from all the joys that we just talked about for all of eternity. And with a room this size, I'm confident there's people in this room that have never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You've never made the step to say, I believe, I trust 
And if that's you today, hear the warning of verse eight. Hear what awaits you if you fail to trust in him. But even more than that, I pray that you see how wonderful and amazing your God is. That you have a God that went to great lengths to bring you his presence. That you have a God that went to great lengths so he could satisfy your soul. That you have a God that went to great lengths so he could give you victory over sin, over death, and over the enemy. I hope you see how beautiful and amazing our God is. And I hope that his kindness, his mercy will lead you to repentance and faith in Christ. And so if that's you today, if you don't know Jesus, I encourage you to talk to the person that brought you today. Talk to me or one of the pastors here. We'd love to have a conversation with you, right? We love, even one of our staff members, someone at the connection does. We will love to say, this is what it means to know Jesus. Trust him and believe. And so there's an invitation. There's a challenge. There's an encouragement for all of us in this room. How is the Lord working in your heart today? What action is he calling you to take? Save it boldly. Take it in faith. Take it through the power of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so grateful um, for every single person that's in this room, God. I'm so thankful for your word, Lord, your word that is living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword that can pierce our hearts and our souls, God. Lord, even as I read this page, as I read this, I, I long and I rejoice in the day. I celebrate one day what our lives will be like in Christ. <laughs> come, Lord Jesus, come. The second advent, let's live in this truth and rejoice. Lord, I pray that, that myself and the others in this room, Lord, wouldn't be discouraged. That we wouldn't be disheartened because we do live in a fallen world because brokenness is around us, that our sinful nature still plugs us, plagues us. Or like you says in first, first Peter, it rages war against our souls. And I pray that they'll take heart because what is, tr- what is true and revelation in full one day, we can now experience in part and even in part. It is so great and so good and such a sign of your mercy and grace. So work in our hearts today. Lead us to the steps that you're calling us to take as believers. Help us to believe these things and steps into the truth. If there's non-believers, Lord, I pray that they'll embrace you, Jesus, because you are far greater than anything that they could ever imagine. Anything that their hearts might be longing for is fulfilled in you. Work in our hearts. Work today for your glory and for the edification of your church. And it's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.